Welcome to The Sale Ring, a podcast dedicated to real estate brokers, agents, and America's top auctioneers that keep the markets moving. Join your hosts, Sean and Trina, as they talk with most successful realtors, marketing and technology experts, investors, and influencers. This show is devoted to all industry professionals looking to up their game and stay up to date. Welcome to The Sale Ring. Welcome to this episode of the Sale Ring Podcast Show, Trina. It's been a while. Yeah, it's been a few minutes. It's been, for sure. It's been too long. We've got to uh, we've got to get these out a little bit more often. But we've got a great guest uh, today, a good friend, a commercial broker out of uh, Houston, Texas. Mr. Pat Duffy is in the studio with us. Pat, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, you're welcome. Looking forward to it. And as we were setting the show up, you were mentioning that uh, you have um, uh, some twin grandbabies yeah. that just happened. So that's exciting. As of 9 a.m. Eastern this morning, yep. Patrick Stephen and Tegan Joyanna, very excited. Aww. Boy and a girl. Boy and a girl. That's awesome. Everybody's healthy and happy and, and uh, twins is always an experience for, for any family. So that's got to be good times. That's great. Needless to say, my uh, text messages on my phone have lit up. Oh, yeah. Very cool. Well, there's so much to talk about. You know, let's have a five-hour show about everything that's going <laughs> on right now. It's, uh, it's just interesting times that we live in. But, you know, one of the areas that I'd like to focus today, you have a very strong commercial background, and, and I think it's it's fair to do an introduction Give us, if you if you would, kind of the five thousand foot view of Pat Duffy, uh, commercial business, where you've been, what you do, and and kind of give our our listeners an idea of who we're visiting with. All right, I have been in the commercial real estate business since nineteen eighty three. For the last God, and since ninety seven, whatever that math is, twenty three years I've been with Colliers International, first in Florida, where I ran the Orlando, Tampa Bay, and Fort Myers offices of Colliers. In 2009, I moved to Houston, and I run the Houston office of Colliers International here. I've been an instructor for Colliers University. I've been an instructor for what used to be NACOR and is now Cornet, and you know, really see myself more as a coach and a teacher in my role as leader of, of both of those companies. But it's been a fun run, and I've certainly been through enough recessions and outside impacts like a COVID. Nothing's been like COVID, but I've seen a lot of things happen to the commercial real estate business since 1983, and this is probably one of the more interesting ones in terms of navigating. Who would have ever saw a, a virus, you know, back at first of the year, coming into the United States and doing the things to operations, business, economies, the way, you know, in the magnitude that the COVID-19 virus has affected the U.S. since, I guess, January, February timeframe. Well, you know, not to act like I actually knew what was happening, but in January, we have a um, market update for all of our clients. And I said, I expect Houston to be business as usual this year, unless there's a black swan event. And the one thing to keep your eye on is this virus coming out of Wuhan, China. <laughs> I had no idea, frankly, how prescient, is that the word I'm looking for? Uh, I was being at the time, and I certainly didn't expect the impact to be this deep. But the one black swan 
event that that we mentioned as a potential problem uh, for commercial real estate in January was COVID. And had no idea, frankly, even what I was talking about, other than our, our offices in China had started talking about this virus, and I had gotten wind of it. The Oracle. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's what you get for yeah. reading the newspaper. <laughs> yeah, yeah, too much of that. The Sale Ring, online at www.thesaleRing.com. So it's entered, it's came into uh, the landscape here in the United States. And, you know, obviously the contingency plans were, were not, and I'm going to argue they're still not in place, they're flailing around. I went to lunch yesterday, wear a mask in an open area until you get inside. They seat you at the table. You can take your mask off. So everybody's inside this contained room, you know, six foot intervals, except for the other four or five people sitting at your table. We're all not wearing masks inside the restaurant. Oh, you've paid the check. Put your mask back on to walk back out to your car. I'm not arguing the point that we're not making a consorted effort to try to limit the exposure, shut this virus down, contain it, you know, where it's manageable. I am arguing the point that nobody knows the effective way to do that yet. We're doing certain measures to, you know, to the naked eye just do not make a lot of sense. Yeah. Well, and, you know, the big one, which has had the ripple effect that, that's run through everything. But when we shut down business, we shut down the users of commercial real estate and, we decided as a country to go into full lockdown and we're still trying to come out of that lockdown. We keep slipping backwards. But in the meantime, because of the confusion, and I don't know that there is an answer to a virus other than it's got to run its course and we have to build our herd immunity or get a vaccine. But as you said, I think it's trying to contain it and slow the spread enough to where we don't overwhelm our hospitals. And at the same time, not completely destroy our economy to the point that we're not able to start it back up. And it's been an interesting balancing act. There's going to be winners and losers coming out of this in the commercial real estate sector. That translates into businesses that win and businesses that lose. Where you've got a lot of businesses losing, the real estate that they typically occupy is going to be heavily impacted. So the whole ecosystem that is commercial real estate, if you think about it, the only reason commercial real estate exists is to provide a platform for people to go to work and shop. So if we tell people not to go to work and we tell people not to shop, in the near term, commercial real estate is not serving its purpose. And it's been interesting to watch those impacts. And it runs so deep because it crosses over into the banking industry. It crosses over into Wall Street with the mortgage-backed securities. And uh, needless to say, the impacts on the companies themselves and their earnings and balance sheets. So it, it certainly is a um, it's a laboratory of, of what happens when we heavily meddle with an open economy. So let's talk a little bit about that. Winners and losers that um, survive possibly um, and some probably don't survive this disruption in the marketplace. I've been in the auction business for 30 years. And one of the things that we talk about as auctioneers is that industry is, is somewhat semi-recession proof. Because in really good times and in the really bad times, there's a disposition strategy that feeds the auction industry out there. And we have a tendency to survive for that transition in those markets. 
most companies are not set up to do that. This is going to, uh, some of it will depend on the sector that you're in. Some of it's going to depend on just the, the viability and, and the staying power in that company, whether they can weather the storm or not. What sectors of the market do you see that makes it out the other side? Well, let's start with the big winners in terms of sector, um, and that's clearly going to be the industrial sector, the uh, manufacturing and distribution facilities. And again, we're going to stick to the concept of real estate here. There was a trend that had been accelerating over the last 15 or 20 years anyway, which was the e-commerce. And COVID probably, by most people's calculations, sped up the move toward e-commerce by anywhere from five to seven years. So it's not that we weren't moving in this direction anyway. We were, but the projections of how long it would take us to get to the penetration that we see today, most of them said we wouldn't get there until 2025 and maybe between 25 and 2030. And when you locked everybody down, everybody figured out how to use Amazon. Amazon has opened three local distribution centers just in Houston in the last 18 months, and they accelerated that activity during the COVID lockdown. So you've got a couple of things going on as a result of COVID and some general political issues that are rolling around, and that is one, e-commerce, and that's huge for distribution because e-commerce basically cuts out the retail store for the most part and delivers direct to the home. So distribution's a big play, but also manufacturing. The supply chain disruption that occurred when we locked down our borders and especially everything coming from China, there has been a move toward reshoring or onshoring some of our manufacturing over the last couple of years that certainly accelerated under the Trump administration where he's brought back a lot of uh, manufacturing jobs, which means manufacturing facilities. The covid taught a lot of people that the concept of just-in-time logistics where you don't carry a lot of inventory for your manufacturing or assembly processes and you wait and if you need it on Friday, it arrives on Tuesday and you don't carry inventory in your space, that's turning into just-in-case inventory. And we're seeing people say, we have to have a larger supply of our parts in the pipeline and closer to us on shore and not be as dependent or we are shut down while we're waiting for that supply chain to be turned back on. So manufacturing, bringing it back here, storing more parts than we normally would have wanted to store just from an efficiencies perspective and e-commerce says that the industrial sector is going to be very strong going forward. The type of space may change. You'll see taller buildings that can stack more than what we have built in the past. But industrial is is the big winner, Sean. Okay. So industrial uh, looking good. And I think you've stated that eloquently. Who's going to lose? And some of them, I believe, or if you've been out to... Probably um, some already the, lost, yeah. Yeah. Like some of the eating, treating you, oh, yeah. you and I were talking the other day about eating establishments mm-hmm. and when you go into restaurants, what that looks like as far as customers in there. Yeah, it's pretty slim. And a lot of these companies, you know, the smaller restaurants can't survive with even half capacity that they're being required. Even being able to open back up, they just can't survive with less customers or, you know, customers coming in. So 
So the food service industry is getting hit hard. Pat, who else? Who falls into the bucket of the losers out of this? Well, hospitality in general, anything that requires that people be in close proximity to each other. So, you know, the restaurant sector, we've heard numbers as high as a 40% failure rate, meaning four out of 10 restaurants will not be able to reopen when this finally lifts. When we've seen some governors make some good moves that helped, not the least of which in Texas was they allowed for mixed drinks to be takeout which has been verboten here forever. And when I talk to my restaurant friends, that was a big boost because a lot of their margin is contained in their alcohol sales. So trying to operate takeout only and without alcohol, to Trina's point, there's just no margin there. So I think the first wave, we saw probably the lower capitalized restaurants, they were failing pretty quickly. And as this is dragged out and they're only allowed to go to 50 and then 75% occupancy, we heard stories that people were starting to turn a profit again because their takeout had made up for the difference in internal occupancy. But now we've, in Texas and a couple other states, rolled back that occupancy. And we talked with a barbecue operator the other day, and his sales are down 65% since the latest rollback. So the restaurant industry is huge. There's always turnover in restaurants, but it's going to be ridiculous coming out of this. Hotel and movie theaters. Hotel because nobody's traveling and movie theaters because how do you sit next to somebody? And, you know, Hollywood has pushed out more streaming. You see Netflix stock has gone crazy. People are still watching movies. They're just not going to the theater. And theaters make most of their money on popcorn and, you know, the concessions, not on the actual ticket sales. So they need warm bodies in there eating popcorn and spreading them out is going to be a problem. So the whole hospitality industry, it heals at this point, and it's going to be a long time before that recovers. You know, in the middle, you've got the office sector and office It's been a mixed bag. Most office companies just sent everybody home and said work from home. Again, there's been a certain amount of movement in that direction anyway, where independent contractors who come in on project work and they may or may not need to be in their space. One of the major oil companies here in Houston, when they were reviewing their footprint, they found out that they had four floors in one building that were dedicated to outside contractors who were coming in on a contract basis and utilizing their space. And they said, this is crazy. We're paying rent for our contractors to come in and set up shop. They can work from anywhere. So let's get rid of that space and make them work remotely and not pay for their rent for them. So, you know, some of this was happening pre-COVID. There have been a couple of surveys done uh, of managers and the, um, let's see if I could find the actual quote, but 56% of the managers that were surveyed in one survey, here we go, Upwork survey, said that working from home went much better than expected, and a third of the group said that productivity actually increased. So the big debate we're having is, what does this mean long-term for office space? Are we going to have companies that literally just say, we don't need to have an office, we just need to have a place to meet when we all need to get together and everybody can work from home? Uh, Again, one of the oil and gas companies here sent two full buildings worth of people, about 500,000 square feet home and said, 
we're going to put the mar- that space on the sublease market. You're not fired. You're not laid off. We need you to keep working, but just work from home for the rest of your career. So we see that going on, which obviously has a negative impact on how much office space a company needs. Simultaneously, though, you've got the six-foot separation rule in office that says that these workbenches and hoteling where people would come in and just grab a bench, sit down and go to work like you're working in a internal Starbucks, that's going away because we have to spread people out and people want to know that their area hasn't been touched by somebody else while they were gone. So we're not quite sure how all that sorts out yet. My guess is once we get past the original shock of all this and everybody starts to go back to work, the demand for office space will be slightly higher because we'll spread everybody out. Yes, there will be a little more working from home, but the work from home five day a week crowd is going to be the exception, not the rule. And if I'm working from home one or two days a week as a perk, I still need my place to perch in the office and I'm going to need to be six feet apart. So we'll see where all that goes. That, my friend, is why you're the oracle. That is some insight into COVID-19 virus. You know, we're about at the uh, the 20, 25-minute mark here. We're going to slip away, hear from our sponsors real quick. And as we come back, Pat, I want to ask you more about some of the booms, some of the things. I'm going to pull out some of the things that you're seeing come from the COVID virus. Also talk a little bit more about the office space being affected because I, I think there's transition that's going to happen in the marketplace. So. Let's hear from our sponsors. We'll be back in a few minutes with more from Pat Duffy. Are you looking for heavy equipment but unsure where to start? Then you need to check out auctiontime.com. Find great equipment has never been easier than bidding online at auctiontime.com. What are you waiting for? Online auctions are closing every Wednesday. So register and start bidding today. Auctiontime.com, the way to buy heavy equipment. Crude oil, natural gas, coal, Buying and selling minerals is a breeze when you have the right energy professionals on your team. Mineralmarketing.com is a leading resource for America's mineral owners. Whether you're wanting to lease or sell your mineral rights, Mineral Marketing has you covered. Mineralmarketing.com, the oil and gas marketplace. Thinking about selling a real estate investment but worried about the taxes you'll have to pay? Property owners just like you have solved their tax issue with a Starker Services 1031 exchange. One call could save you a fortune in taxes. Call Starker Services today at 800-332-1031 or visit online at www.starker.com and keep the tax dollars working for you. Ever dream of owning a country estate, historic home, or lakefront property? Log on to unitedcountry.com. Would you like to retire to a home built on breathtaking acreage in the mountains? Unitedcountry.com. Ever dream of your own private hunting preserve? UnitedCountry.com. Over 30,000 farm, recreational, and lifestyle properties are just a click away, helping people find their American dream for over 90 years. We will help you find yours. Log on now to UnitedCountry.com and find your freedom. And we're back. And yeah, you're still here. <laughs> it, uh, <laughs> it takes me a second to get all these buttons flipped around here. So we're back in the studio with Pat Duffy. 
Um, Trina, great insights so far. Uh, yeah. You know, nice. here's the thing that I've always appreciated about brokers in that commercial sector. You have to be a master of your domain, right? If that's the business you're going to operate in, I, I personally, I've poured myself into the auction business for 30 years. You have things that you're, things that you're passionate about. And clearly, Pat is every morning when he gets up, he's in the commercial, industrial, retail, office space. You know, he's in that commercial business out there and it forces you to stay abreast of things that are going on in the marketplace, transitions, and appreciate what you just said. You know, we jokingly said the Oracle, but you see things like this happening overseas and said, if that comes into this country, you know, it's reasonable to think X is going to happen. Now, to what magnitude, to what duration? And I, before we slip out of this show this afternoon, I want to talk about your expectations of kind of just duration and, and the time that you think it'll take to recover. But before we get to that, let's talk about a little bit about the booms. So you went into, I think, a lot of detail in the first part about industrial manufacturing. So for the losers, you know, you have some that are going to make money. They're going to stay in business. They'll do well. For the people that are losing, what's the transition look like in that hospitality space, you know, in the, the restaurants, the hotels, the things that are really getting hit hard, Pat? Do you foresee there's going to be a lot of vacancy in those buildings uh, setting across the country? There's definitely going to be a consolidation. I think like in, any downturn, and this is a very unique downturn in the it wasn't caused by overbuilding. It wasn't caused by financial finagling on Wall Street. It wasn't caused by a war or some sort of terrorist impact. This one, it came in fast. It hit us hard. People, I don't think were as prepared, but there's going to be a washout. There is on all of these. The weaker players, they go by the wayside. You could argue that many of them would have anyway. It just would have taken longer. I mean, we had a theater chain contact us in the last two weeks looking for new locations in Houston. And I almost fell out of my chair when I got that call. But, you know, we're out looking and they have a plan for how do you put people into uh, a tight area and make the theater experience work? The airlines are taking out the middle seat, and putting up dividers and where there's a will, there's a way. And I do think people have a hunger to get back out. But there are going to be a lot of operators that just don't survive this. And then there will be new capital that will come in. There will be new ideas. And is the idea that the, the theater is going to go by the wayside, I mean movie theater, not necessarily Broadway, both of those, I think, make a comeback. It's just whether it's the same players and is new capital willing to step up and to take that bet? And if so, when? I don't see them doing it until we're well into the, we know how to live in a post-COVID environment. There's some of it. As I said, we've got a theater looking right now. But the lead time in our business, if we found a site for them tomorrow, they're not going to be up and running for two years. So you know, I think they're basically operating under the theory that by 2022, we will have figured this out. And let's get started on that process. So there will be a washout. And new, smarter people, different capital will come in net. Do we have too much retail space on the ground in the United States? Probably. Is a lot of that consolidated in the malls? Yes. The anchors are going to have uh, anchors, meaning the big box retailers like, uh, let's start with the obvious ones, Sears, Pennies, 
they're all basically in bankruptcy anyway. And you've seen Nordstrom and a couple of the other luxury people that have filed bankruptcy protection. I don't think they go out of business, but they've certainly in a um, restructure mode. When all that happens, the mall real estate's going to be heavily impacted because it's the anchors that have always drawn people to those properties. Let me ask you a question about that. So it's interesting that we're talking about this. I had a conversation the other day and the natural just evolution of business is that's progressively that's going to happen. Yeah. Amazon, you know, and, and systems that operate like Amazon will eventually take some of those big box retailers or the anchor stores, you know, out of the picture, or it'll cause them to change. They're going to have to migrate to a different type of an operation to stay afloat, right? But when COVID virus comes along, it's an accelerant, you know, and and I'm not talking specifically about just the differences in Sears and Pennies and Wards against Amazon. I'm talking more about business in general it's causing us to rethink, you know, the way that we conduct operations and it's forcing us to maybe streamline a lot of our process right now. Can you comment to that and tell me what you're seeing just overall? And even in the commercial brokerage business, some of the things that it may be forcing into your industry. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's the old cliche, right? What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And if there was ever a uh, an example of that, we're in it. There are firms that are going to come out of the back end of this stronger than they went in. Maybe not immediately, but in our industry, we've been working in a virtual world for a while. And all this did was we're going to be showing space with virtual tours. We're going to be using the... Um, virtual reality as well as augmented reality in order to show clients what they could do and not just walk around in an empty space. That was getting to be important pre-COVID, and now it's almost the only way you can do business. We've got a ton of people that need space going forward, but they're not their corporate travel doesn't allow them to get on an airplane. So we've got to figure out a way to make them comfortable as if they toured property physically enough to move forward with a decision in this environment. And again, it was happening to your point. This has accelerated it heavily. Those that can invest in the tech to make that happen and are willing to put in the extra effort are going to come out the back end, the winners. And those that try to do business the old way, they are going to be run over and may or may not survive this. So we all have to sharpen our knives. And and this is one of those get stronger or be killed. Um, and I, I don't mean that literally, but... Oh, adapt or die mentality there. That's it. Yeah. I mean, we're in it. Anytime you get into one of these battles, you, you have a choice. I send around a weekly update to all of my people, and I frequently use the term, we can't roll up in a ball and suck our thumbs and hope this goes away. It's not going to go away. Get up, get to work, and figure out how. Because it's not if, we have to get this done. Now figure out how to make it happen. And we've seen some pretty interesting innovation in the last 100 days in terms of how we're communicating with clients and pushing things out. Some of that innovation was already out there, but it wasn't on our radar, and we had to go find it. Tell your friends you get your information on the Sale Ring Podcast Show. Let's talk a little bit about geography, just The geographical impact, because I think there's more remote areas of this country, maybe not hit as hard 
as other areas. And there, there's two sides to that, sparsely versus densely populated areas and just oversight and regulation. You can go into certain rural parts of this country, and even if there are additional restrictions that have been in place, they're not necessarily being enforced outside of the major metropolitan areas, uh, the same way they are in, in bigger urban areas. So business has been disrupted more in those target areas than they have, you know, 60, 80, 100 miles outside of the cities. What do you see in there you from know, Houston and the other markets you serve? Well, and again, I think to some degree, this may be an acceleration. I heard an interesting discussion about two to three years ago, you know, all we ever heard about was that the millennials and the new generation, the younger people all wanted to live in live, work, play, urban environments. And it was the cities that were attracting all of the next gen, if we want to just lump the various generations into that. But I sat with a demographer about three or four years ago who said, you know, interestingly enough, that next gen crowd is now starting to get married and they're having babies five to 10 years later than their parents did. And as they're moving into that phase of their life, they are trading an urban lifestyle and moving back toward the suburbs primarily for schools because the schools in the suburbs tend to be less challenged. So three or four years ago, I heard movement from urban downtown to suburb is now in its new wave. But now throw COVID into that and a lot of the political unrest that we've seen in the last, well, about 100 days as well. I mean, it's been there, but it certainly has accelerated. And there are some practical issues that deal with an urban environment that don't work in a COVID environment. In Manhattan, you don't drive to work. You take the subway, you walk. Some people, if you've got a little more money, you might take a cab or a driving service, but there's very limited parking and the parking that exists costs a fortune. Uh, so only the uber wealthy are going to have their own car parked in a space. Everybody else has to figure out how to get there either by walking or taking mass transit. Well, mass transit in a COVID environment doesn't work very well. Most downtown markets, urban markets, are parked somewhere around one and a half to maybe two and a half cars per thousand square feet of office space. Most office users are closer to three to four people per thousand square feet. So you've got about half to one third the amount of parking you need if everybody decides I can't take mass transit, I can't take the bus. I can't take the subway. I have to take my own car. There's no place to store your car in an urban environment. So that's going to push people toward the suburbs. Downtown office buildings tend to be taller because of the cost of the land, which means vertical transportation, specifically elevators, are how you get from the ground floor to your office. And again, the density allowed in an elevator has gone from maybe 12 people, uh, larger elevators 15, to four uh, so even just getting from the lobby to my office requires that we reduce the density in the elevators, and now there's a long elevator wait to go vertically. So downtowns are going to be heavily challenged by everything that's happened in the last 120 days, and it's going to be very interesting to see if they recover. And when you throw onto that the political unrest that we've seen, uh, Seattle 
being one of the worst examples of that. How do you do business in a market where you've got protesters that decide to set up their own autonomous zone in front of your building? So I, I think that the net winner of all of this tends to be the suburbs and to a large degree, the r- more rural markets. Uh, to your point, distribution requires that we have access to good highways and rail and some air and, and uh, obviously seaports. But if you've got rural markets that have good access to rail and good highways and abundant land and a workforce that wants to be away from the more dense population, those areas are going to win in a big way. I think you're going to see a general migration out of the high-density urban environments for so many reasons. It was already happening, but now there's more reasons to be out in the burbs or further into the rural markets. I agree. There's a lot of things happening in society today that's not necessarily, COVID may not be the only stimulus behind that. There could be some other reasons why people are just want a little bit more uh, elbow room, if you will. They, they want to get out into a, a little bit more less populated area, have a little bit more freedom, a little bit more room to move around. And with that, obviously, that's going to drive the demand as it goes out. There's going to drive the economies in those smaller markets. Some of those are a lot more cost effective to operate in too. But I think the pullback from that is convenience. You know, you have to drive a little bit farther, maybe to get back into work or to the office, and you give up a few things to get, uh, obviously, more. But. Well, and I think to put a plug in for Texas, and we're about to see Austin become one of the top 10 largest cities in the United States, uh, Houston and Dallas-Fort Worth were already there. There's always been a rub against, I'll pick on Houston since I'm here, that you know we have urban sprawl. The area we call Houston is roughly the size of New Jersey. We've got almost 7 million people that live here. It's spread out over a fairly broad area. And while we have some density in in a couple of office pockets, downtown, the Med Center, the Galleria, up in the Woodlands, for the most part, there's a lot of elbow room with the convenience that comes from a more urbanized market. It's, It's like an urban suburb. And I think that the cities that are set up that way, as opposed to vertical and very dense, like a San Francisco, are going to fare better. L.A. will fare better than San Francisco because you've just got more land area to spread people out a little bit. So I I think you're going to see those types of things. Because to your point, the live, work, play, everybody likes it. The ability to walk to a nice restaurant, assuming we can get into one and have the kids' schools nearby. The Woodlands was just ranked the number two planned community in the United States, and that's what they're built on. Lots of green space, lots of walkability, lots of trails, but they've got plenty of grocery stores, lots of shopping, and and plenty of entertainment, and a work base that includes both office and industrial uses, obviously in retail. Lots of great insight. Trina, I think we'll, uh, we'll slip away. We'll hear from our sponsors one more time. We'll come back in just a few minutes and uh, we'll wrap up here with Pat Duffy. COVID virus, urban sprawl. You're hearing a little bit of, uh, of everything. It's just great information, Pat. We'll be back in just a few minutes. Ever dream of owning a country estate, historic home, or lakefront property? Log on to unitedcountry.com. Would you like to retire to a home built on breathtaking acreage in the mountains? Unitedcountry.com. Ever dream of your own private hunting preserve? 
unitedcountry.com. Over 30,000 farm, recreational, and lifestyle properties are just a click away, helping people find their American dream for over 90 years. We will help you find yours. Log on now to unitedcountry.com and find your freedom. Thinking about selling a real estate investment, but worried about the taxes you'll have to pay? Property owners just like you have solved their tax issue with a Starker Services 1031 exchange. One call could save you a fortune in taxes. Call Starker Services today at 800-332-1031 or visit online at www.starker.com and keep the tax dollars working for you. Are you looking for heavy equipment but unsure where to start? Then you need to check out AuctionTime.com. Find great equipment has never been easier than bidding online at AuctionTime.com. What are you waiting for? Online auctions are closing every Wednesday. So register and start bidding today. AuctionTime.com, the way to buy heavy equipment. Crude oil, natural gas, coal. Buying and selling minerals is a breeze when you have the right energy professionals on your team. Mineralmarketing.com is a leading resource for America's mineral owners. Whether you're wanting to lease or sell your mineral rights, Mineral Marketing has you covered. Mineralmarketing.com, the oil and gas marketplace. Oh, these programs are so interesting. (laughs) We're back in the studio with uh, Trina and I have Pat Duffy commercial broker from Houston, Texas, and, and great insight. And as we start to kind of close out the show, we near the end here, Pat, here, here's what I'd like to ask you. I think we've had a great discussion about commercial real estate transitions during the COVID-19 outbreak. Let's talk a little bit about duration and where you see this kind of ending up, where it's going to fall out in, in your mind. How agile is the market? How do we rebound? Well, I think we're seeing the stock market's predicting that the economy is going to bounce back in a V. We'll see whether that actually happens. The employment numbers have come back fairly strongly in the last two reports with over 4 million new jobs in the, in the last report in, in June. So as people get back to work, come off the unemployment rolls and get back out and get back to life, we're already seeing the market come back. To get back to where we were, my guess is we're probably looking at toward the end of 2021. I don't see anything in the near term that says that we're going to have a vaccine widely available and reliable between now and the end of the year. So I think we're going to be in this dance where we try to keep the caseload at hospitals down to the point that they don't overwhelm the ICUs like we saw in New York and New Jersey for a little while. So I'm telling my people this is, I hate the term, but the new normal for us until probably at least January. We're going to be operating in what we're calling phase 1.5 of our fully back-to-work program. But our business has already picked up. Uh, We did more than double in June what we did in May. We've done about half of June in the first week in July. So anecdotally, I can tell you that people have decided we can't sit in our houses any longer. We got to get back to work. And and that's starting to show up. It's a typical American response to this. And I love that. But COVID's going to be around. It's the new flu. And I know it's not the flu, but I think we'll get used to living in a COVID world. We'll do a better job of treating it. Hopefully, we'll develop a bit of a herd immunity and or we'll have the vaccines 
and better treatments and people it'll be like any other communicable disease. We just learn to work with it and go back to work. A lot of people die from the flu, but we don't shut the economy down for it. So I think as we get a better understanding of this, come first quarter of 2021, you'll see much more of a normal, we're making it work, back to work environment. That's my wild guess based on just everything I'm seeing and reading. And and, and we're feeling it. People are coming back to work. Tell your friends you get your information on the Sail Ring Podcast Show. I watched a TV show last night with Matthew McConaughey. Remember the Dallas uh, Buyers Club? Oh, yeah. And, yeah. Uh, you know, it was about Ron Woodruff whenever HIV and, and obviously yeah. AIDS, the, the hearing caused AIDS, uh, that big breakout back in the it 80s. A lot of just knee jerk reaction. Uh, it, it was unknown. It was spreading rampantly, and, and you know, people become very agile and, and uh, learn how to navigate around that, how to be safer and how to, you know, just uh, kind of protect themselves. And I think if we go back through time and you, and you watch just in history, that is a reoccurring event. I did not know this. I, my son's getting his Ph.D. right now in chemistry at the University of Florida. And Nick was home for a month. He just went back and he said, Dad, you know, the COVID virus has been around since like the 20s. And I said, really? And he goes, oh, yeah. He said it found it in birds, you know, back in the 20s. And it's it's got a long history. It's a type of a virus. It's got these little spikes. And he talked about like a corona or coronas, which is the spike. And that's that's where the whole COVID kind of name of the acronym comes from. And he said, it's not that it's a new virus, it's just that there's new strains of it that are popping out and it's introduced differently and you have to handle it differently and we have to figure out how to handle it. So there's people way smarter than I am working on that, Pat Duffy. I'll tell you. Yeah, well, the cases are going up because we're testing, but the death rate is going down. And at the end of the day, getting sick, I, I literally just got out of a meeting with someone who, t- who had COVID uh, four weeks ago. And he said it was something between a bad cold and the flu for him. Yeah. And he's about my age. He's around 60 years old. And he said it was really not that big of a deal. And he's now three weeks past his last symptom. He's got the antibody and he's back to work. So, you know, I think that's the experience for 98, 99% of the population. And once we all get comfortable with that concept, we'll go back to work. New York, New Jersey, and the death of especially the older population up there and the fragile population, I think that sent us all into a, um, a very significant, wait a minute, what's going on here? But I think we've learned as a group of the population that needs to basically be extra careful. And certainly the nursing home population needs to be quarantined. Yeah. Yes. Well, Pat, this has been highly enlightening and, and we genuinely value your time on the show today. Your insight, uh, you've been an instructor at several of the uh, classes, the real estate and the commercial classes that have went on. And I've had, you know, people that I'm familiar with that were in this class said, man, that's a sharp guy. You, you guys should have oh, him yeah. on your podcast show. So this was a great opportunity to do that. We look forward to having you back uh, if you're open to it. And uh, for anybody that's listening out there, if they had questions, if they wanted to visit with you a little bit more, would you, I assume you'd be open to that. Uh, how would they contact <laughs> Yeah, I don't know how much of a floodgate we're opening, but uh, I'm easy to find. I'm on the internet, Patrick Duffy at Colliers. 
real easy. Patrick Duffy at Colliers.com. And happy to talk to as many people as I can. I do have a day job, but uh, you know, let me leave you with this, if if I can, Sean. You know, in '86 they changed the tax law retroactively, and it literally wiped out the savings and loan industry, crushed the banks, and destroyed the commercial real estate business. We were selling office buildings for twenty dollars a square foot that pre the tax act we were leasing for 18 to 20 dollars a square foot we got to the point where we just couldn't barely even give real estate away and you know you look today and the commercial real estate footprint on the ground in 2020 is way more than double what we had in 1990 when the whole world had ended in commercial real estate the united states is absolutely the best place to do business in the world to do business, you need commercial real estate. It's always going to be a great commercial real estate market in the long run. In the near term, we get these disruptions. We adjust. The people that unfortunately are left holding during one of these corrections, they get hurt. And the people that came come and follow them take advantage of that dip. And it's, it's like buying low in the stock market and riding it back up. And I'm very optimistic. Um, we are a resilient people and we will find a way to work in any environment. We're not going to curl up in a ball and suck our thumbs. We're going to figure out the how because we know the why. The why is we're here to produce and make great lives for our families and provide and make the world a better place. And to do that, we've got to get out of our houses and do something. And we're going to do that. I have no doubt in my mind. That right there is why they call you the Oracle, my friend. And the Oracle. The Oracle, Pat Duffy. (laughs) Great insight. Pat, as always, that is, uh, I think that's a perfect summary as we, as we exit today's show. Is, I agree. This is greatest country in the world, right? It is a great place to do business. We're very resilient. We're very agile. We will adjust and, and overcome and triumph out of this. I appreciate, as does Trina, all of the insight that you've had on the show today. Ladies and gentlemen, that's going to wrap it up for this episode of The Sale Ring. And we hope that you join us next time inside the cell room. This episode has ended, but your journey to greatness continues. To access all resources and links mentioned in today's show, head over to www.thesailring.com now. That's www.thesailring.com.